Welcome to Diversity in Tech podcast, the podcast that brings you expert advice and unique insights on diversity and inclusion in the tech industry. Whether you're a software developer, a designer, a CTO or a people manager, we're here to help make your workplace more accessible, open and equitable. This podcast is brought to you by Dint, diversity and inclusion in tech. Join our global community by visiting us at dintglobal.com. That's D-I-N-T global.com. I'm Davina. And I'm Richard. And we're the co-founders of Dint. Hey, everybody. Um, thanks for joining us and welcome to the Using VR to Aid Diversity and Inclusion Training. This is the first Dint Global podcast, definitely not the last, especially given the quality of people who are talking to us today. Without further ado, I'm going to introduce Sam. Thanks for the brilliant introduction, Richard. Um, Sam Samaluko. I'm a manager at PwC UK within our um, risk practice, and I'm also the co-chair of the Black Network within our UK firm, which essentially looks to sort of create a community that will understand some of the challenges faced by black people in our in our firm and see how we can make it a better and inclusive place. Thanks, Sam. My name is Louise Liu. I am head of the project delivery team in the Excel team at PwC UK. We actually create VR experiences for our clients. We help them use this technology within their businesses and so on. And um, we've actually spent a lot of time working on training and diversity inclusion is one of those, uh, which we are pushing through with our technology in the firm and also to our clients. I'm Alex Rule. I am a virtual reality writer and director, and I have the wonderful honor of working with PwC UK to bring a lot of their immersive training to life. Well, thank you all, and welcome. Welcome, as Richard says, to our first ever podcast. First ever podcast, but we've been running Dint for well over a year now and spoken to lots of different people about diversity and inclusion. When I first heard about what PwC are doing, and that is doing immersive VR training in the diversity and inclusion space, I was just gobsmacked, delighted. I've, I've not heard of anyone else doing this. And I think that a lot of the problem with being more inclusive and building empathy, for instance, is the fact that we don't experience things as other people experience it. And so this, to me, is completely groundbreaking. And thank you so much for spending your evening talking to us. So first of all, I'm intrigued to know, how did this project come about? What sparked it off? Um, it was when the George Floyd incident happened. That's when it's actually something that we thought about in the firm. And we thought about how we can help um, a lot of our members in the ethnic minority side. Um, we know it has impacted them in, um, in a strong way, in an emotional way as well. And we want to show our support as a firm. And so we came with the idea of like, how can we do it? And we needed something that was very immersive because e-learn training, most of the time, you're distracted with your phone or you just go through the experience, watch the video, answer the questions, and that's it. It's a tick box exercise. Um, but we wanted something to show that we want to be inclusive. We want people to understand microaggressions, and not only in their workplace, but in their personal life. Using VR to showcase it was a tool that we thought would be quite powerful. And, and so where do you start with something like this? It's a huge undertaking. How did you kick it off? So I guess prior to this, we'd work with Louise's team to um, sort of create an experience which um, showcased sort of black talent and black um, excellence 
whatnot. So my interest in VR was really, really spiked from from that experience. So um, an individual from our central diversity and inclusion team reached out to me and said, oh, well, you know, we're looking to use VR again in this DNI space and we want to make it really immersive. And more importantly, we want to make it very authentic. We want it to feel real. You know, there is a lot of fatigue at times around certain DNI initiatives and, and how authentic it is. So I felt quite honoured and um, absolutely interested in offering my, my insights through my, my various work within the Multicultural Business Network and outside of the firm as well. Some of the experiences that happen in the final um, version, you know, I can absolutely relate to and has happened to me. Like Louise was saying, some people got got a bit emotional by it because it was so much happening to one person. And the beauty of having so many heads around the table is that, you know, I was able to bring other people's experiences that I'd heard from my various roles into what the character was experiencing. And it just kind of all meshed into one, you know, incredible final outcome that that's that's amazing sam so i think at this point it might be worth me just saying that i have seen the training so you are basically put in the shoes of the person you don't know anything about that person obviously because you are that person you can't see that person so you don't know what color skin they have you don't know what gender they are etc but so you just genuinely experience everything that happens as yourself but you're obviously having experiences that quite often would happen to people who are not like you. That, I think, just makes it incredibly powerful. And they are generally, as I understand it, Sam, experiences that have really happened to people, not necessarily all in work, some of them outside of work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, It's, it's very common themes that you see within sort of um, focus groups within the firm. And like I said, Outside of the firm, there are there are some similarities in a lot of experiences. And I was going to ask um, the term microaggressions. I since uh, Richard and I have been running Dint, we've we've heard that term a lot. We're very familiar with it. I think it's one that outside of the conversation about diversity and inclusion isn't a well-known expression. Would mm. you uh, perhaps just be able to explain what that means? Absolutely. Yeah, so microaggressions um, essentially are patterns of behaviour. What it, it tends to be is either deliberate or accidental um, things that you say or, or do that kind of undermine or belittle or stereotype or maybe even insult people from these groups. Cat of the bag, I've also seen the video and it, it's it's incredible. I'm interested in the process from the design side, the, the conception through and, and the technology behind things. I guess how you bring it from an idea into a script, into a, into a living, breathing thing. Yeah, I'll take that one. Um... Building on kind of what Sam said, I think the most important part of this process, like right from the top, we wanted to make sure that we had a really strong message with this VR piece, which kind of helped shape everything. So although one of the, actually one of the quite interesting challenges of the piece was there were so many stories, there were so many microaggressions, there were so many things that we could have included to actually build that in to a 15 minute interactive VR experience was actually a real challenge because, you know, one of the limitations of the VR technology is that it is a medium that you, you know, you kind of want a very 
short, sweet, impactful um, experience. And then you want to kind of leave your audience, uh, you know, not necessarily sweating in their VR headset. You want them to be able to come out and then engage in a conversation afterwards. So um, from the kind of, you know, the the kind of focus group that we, we were pulling the stories from, we then crafted a script. And then we had to kind of say, okay, this is the script. This is the most powerful version of how we tell this character's journey but how does that then match up to the technology you know because we've got limitations one of the decisions that we made really early on was that we wanted this to be like a photorealistic experience because there's a couple of different types of virtual reality you could if you wanted to have a cgi you know computer generated graphics version but we felt really strongly that this should be a photorealistic experience so you are coming face to face with other fictionalized employees fictionalized bosses you know fictionalized family members um but they were photorealistic they were real as if you had literally stepped into the 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 you know that person's life uh, uh, louise you might want to jump in about like some of the challenges <laughs> that we had using volumetric but i mean yeah phenomenal tech yeah. So um, just give a background if people don't know what volumetric um, capture is, is a green room basically and it has 106 cameras in there and the actors have a limited space to work in which is basically a two meter diameter circle and that's it. Basically you can't have pencils and pens so we need to really think about the props as well. It can't be reflective, it has to be quite matte, there are colours that you that doesn't work in there either. So getting the wardrobe for the actors was quite challenging and the challenge also was that we had scenes where we had more than two people in there and with volumetric capture we can only have two people in that space so we need to work out how do we film this with two people and then film the scene again with that other third character or fourth character as well and how to do that so there was a lot of head scratching um, ideas flowing through and it was groundbreaking in that this hasn't been done before in VR, so it was a good challenge, especially because we really want to show the facial features of those people. We want to show the emotions. Was That was the main point of this experience as well. A lot of the time, the tech can kind of take over because it is such a technically intensive, you know, process whereas this for this project you know we really made sure that the emphasis even with technical challenges was on that emotional impact everything came back to what is the person going to feel when they're in this headset is this going to ignite and a really important conversation and are they going to be able to engage with the conversation around diversity and inclusion in a totally different way than if they'd just done you know a class-based training or uh, e-learning for example and I think that really comes across in the piece. I'm just was just remembering um, when you were speaking, Annex. There's one particular scene where um, the main character is is sitting at their desk, and two other people are having a conversation about an event that's being organised by the company that plainly excludes um, the main character. And I thought, you know what, I've organised something like that in the past. And I started to go back and think, right, did I do the right thing? Did I do the wrong thing? How would I do it differently? It's strange because you have an emotional reaction, mix, which makes you then question things you've done in the past or you might do in the future. And I am sure that if you'd put me in front of a screen and told me to do D&I training, right, I would not have had that reaction. Huge kind of. Spoiler, I'm, I'm a six-foot-odd white guy with no hair. And still, some of the scenes, 
like really made me think I've, I've been in that situation. How did you create a script that's almost like an inclusive script? Because there were definitely elements that I was like, yep, that rings a big, big bell. I think one of the most interesting outcomes of the script writing process was that there is so much intersection in a lot of these microaggressions. A big piece of feedback that we had very early on was that you know this this piece of work as as louise mentioned was kind of inspired and spurred on by the george floyd murder it has to it had to be very specific to race awareness but actually what we were finding is a lot of you know female colleagues were saying oh yeah that rings you know being uh, mistaken for a junior member of staff because a woman couldn't possibly be leading, you know, the presentation, for example, like, you know, these were things that uh, that were kind of creating these kind of, yeah, resonating um, ideas amongst people. There is a lot of that kind of like dangling of a carrot of like, oh, hang on a second. Yeah, actually, this is more, it's, it's also about class. It's also about gender. It's also about, you know, all of these other things that are very exclusionary. And um, just to pick on your point, um, Davina, I had the exact same moment when we were even script writing the process, hearing some of these things and thinking, I've definitely like, you know, leaned into kind of, for example, I don't know, like pub culture, you know, oh, let's go for a drink without ever questioning like that. A mum, like a single mum, like who works there, who wouldn't necessarily be able to like just drop everything and go out. Or what about someone whose religion doesn't, you know, allow them to have alcohol or people that just don't drink alcohol full stop? It's, it's really interesting when you start to drill into it, thinking about like, wow, like there's so much going under the surface. There's so much kind of context missing from a lot of like what we consider to be, you know, like workplace behaviour that's just been encoded into this society, I guess. I, I think you're right. And it's also workplace behavior that we're almost encouraged when we start out in the workplace to embrace, right? Like networking is a good thing. And networking happens in the pub, to your example. So, yes. One of the beauties for me was that um, when you actually do the immersive experience, it's vague enough to be intriguing enough for you to think, oh, is this, is this kind of talking about my life that so you can really immerse yourself into what you are seeing and allow yourself to feel that as yourself but five minutes ago I was almost in tears because I felt that before and then uh, there's a big emphasis on the follow-up sessions in terms of understanding some of those themes and really being aware of how your sort of unconscious bias or anything like that kind of plays out. So on that, Sam, obviously now you've started to, to roll out this training and, and people have been in experiencing it. I'm, I'm interested to know how that's gone and also maybe how you've then supported those people that have been impacted by it because I imagine um, that it's not been an easy training to roll out. So we've just run the pilot. Um, there has been quite um, an emotional journey for a lot of the users there. Some people are crying because they were so touched and so they felt the anger, they felt, you know, the frustration and uh, so on in the experience. And then some people just needed a moment. They came out really quiet, said, just give me a moment. I need to really get this through my head, absorb this before I can talk about it. So that really told us how immersive this is and how powerful this technology is to really make people think about what's happening as well what you know this is real this is happening to our not just our staff but everyone else in the world also it's just how to make them think about if you were in a situation say in a workplace you saw a colleague and you 
same scenario happened, a microaggression happened with someone else, what, what would you do now compared to what we did, you would have done before? You might have ignored it before, but you didn't think it was a microaggression. I wouldn't have said anything. But, you know, going forward, what would be your next steps? Um, we are actually taking this out firm-wide. We are going to use this as a firm racial awareness training um, program uh, for all our 22,000 staff in the UK firm. I was just going to say briefly, just to add to what Louise said, in terms of um, what's to come, like I said, I, I co-chair our Black Network and we have got a lot planned around, um, you know, once everyone has taken the training in terms of how it made you feel, what specific um, experiences you've had that you can resonate with the character in, in the scene. And we want to be very solutions-based as well. So we want to sort of come together as a, um, as a community almost and just you know, identify what can be done in, in this area. So amazing. I, I just, the whole thing is just somewhat blown me away. I just wish everybody could, could, could be doing the kind of things that you're doing. On a related topic, and it's, it's a really strong piece and it kind of is a bit of a game changer when it comes to how our training can work. Is it possible, do you see other companies being able to do similar pieces of work? Is this something that others can take advantage of? What we've done is not just have it on the headset. Um, from To make it more scalable, we've actually created the desktop version as well. So it still has that immersive factor because it's a 360 um, desktop version, so they can move around, have a look around the space and so on. Uh, we need to think about um, accessibility as well. So we made sure there's captions and we made sure there are certain things in place to actually make it more inclusive. It's early days of this technology still. It's still, yes, it's expensive, expensive to build, but because this topic will always be ongoing, it can be still used probably in two, three years' time, I feel. This can be used further um, for uh, future training for new people joining the firm, maybe, but also um, we can be talking to our clients about it, say, this is, might be something that you know you want to consider as well. Yeah. I also think that we're hitting a bit of a tipping point with VR um, at the moment because we're seeing like a drastic reduction in price in terms of the hardware, like the actual headset itself, but a rapid increase of the quality and, like Louise was saying, the accessibility um, factor is being you know considered a lot more than it was even a year ago. And so, what I think we'll see in the next few years is a more you know, cheap, easy to roll out, you know, a much more scalable version of the technology. But even without those factors, even as it is right now, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to plug PwC a little bit here because <laughs> they've actually released, they released a study that I've just got in front of me um, about the effectiveness of virtual reality for soft skills training. And they found some like, absolutely amazing things like for example 40 percent of virtual learners saw an improvement in confidence compared to traditional based training you've got something like uh, virtual learners comp uh, completed training four times faster so these are things that like you know it's not yes of course we want the maximum impact but if a company even just wants to look at the bottom line like you know this is a more engaging and potentially more efficient way of training people so i think there's loads of potential in it it's just i think the the barrier at the moment is people to understand what the technology actually is and how it works but once they put on a headset and they see it especially an experience like this one i i don't think there would be a single person that wouldn't be bought in and think we need to do that i mean there's definitely an intangible benefit that um that can't be underestimated at all because, you know, just picture yourself as someone, you know, quite junior um, or minority within the firm. And then, like you said, it can be potentially quite expensive. So 
you're seeing this really cool bit of tech that your firm is investing in and saying, yes, we really care and we're scaling it across the whole firm and you have to do it. It's it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna engage you. You're gonna think that it's really cool and it's something that kind of encourages you to um to to feel as though something maybe there may be light at the end of the tunnel essentially and it's not as much of a tick box exercise as you otherwise otherwise may have thought. That's a really good point, actually, Sans. It's not just about the people receiving the training, but it's that it's it's about everybody going, yes, do you know what? you do care as a firm about how I feel and how I think and, and, and the experiences that I go through, be it here or outside. So um, let's say I'm listening to this. I'm one of our amazing listeners and I want to do something similar in my firm. I think I heard you say, Louise, that potentially if they're an existing client of PwC or want to become a client of PwC, they could come and talk to you. Is that right? Absolutely. Uh, we're open to having conversational clients. Um, please come and have a chat with us. We have teams here who will be able to talk to you a bit more about the experience itself, but also about the technology, if you want to find out a bit more of how that works. And, you know, we can give you some guidance um, on training and how that can work with you and your firm and the people as well. And, you know, just coming for a conversation, we'll be able to discuss a lot of things with you. So, yeah, come and talk to us. We're happy to have a chat. and. Um, see what we can do for you i was just gonna say that no this is exactly the kind of thing that um you know people are looking to i think more and more people are being kind of unapologetic and brave in that they want to know what you know the firm stance is on on diversity well i like to say inclusion and diversity that way around just because you know it's one thing to have x number of you know black individuals within your um within your cohort but how inclusive is the firm to you know, making sure that some of, you know, some of the challenges around microaggressions and progression are being addressed. So, you know, seeing that, like I said, such investment and focus and um, mandating that something like this has to be taken by um, everyone in the firm is really creating a culture of a good tone from the top um, and really um, being held to account to make sure that some of the targets that have been put in place are, are going to be adhered to. So, so yeah, it's definitely something that um, the firm will look to push. Right, amazing. Well, I think I just want to say thank you to all of you for coming along today and for making this our first ever podcast for Dint. Um, I'm sure that our listeners have, have learned absolutely loads and got some ideas of things they can be doing in their own companies. And uh yeah have a lovely evening all of you and hopefully we'll be welcoming you back for a future podcast once it's all rolled out and you've probably got five different flavors of it and we'll see how it's all been going and what you've learned along the way goodbye from me i'm davina and it was lovely having you with us today goodbye from me and i'm rich thanks very much for listening great speaking to you guys goodbye from me i'm sam goodbye from me i'm louise and thank you for listening ditto goodbye from me i'm alex We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Diversity in Tech podcast. For more information or to join our global community, visit dintglobal.com. That's D-I-N-T global.com.